This morning we will be looking at Psalm 131, which can be found on page 969 in the Pew Bibles. But before we do that, let's bow again in a moment of prayer. Father in heaven, as we turn to your word to open it, to read it, to apply it, we pray that you would go with it, that you would protect it, that it would be true to your meaning, to what you have written here, that it would be applied in our lives, and that all of us would listen, that we would apply it to our lives, and that it would be this nourishing milk to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll look at Psalm 131, a song of ascents of David. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. Thus ends the reading of God's word. People of God, what we have before us is a a rather short psalm. Three verses. Three verses that aren't very long. And you read this and it seems a little little strange at at first. You read it and what's going on here? What's David saying? In fact, this psalm is actually... One of my favorite psalms in the Bible, and I hope as we go along you will see why it is. It was C.S. Lewis that said, A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. And what he was talking about was God. What I think this quote does is capture some of what this psalm is saying. As long as you are proud... As long as you seek to elevate yourself, to look down on others, to look down on people, or to control your life, as long as your goal is only you, you will only ever see you. You will never see God. You will never see his hand working. You will be blinded to that. What the psalm is talking about is pride or humility as they go hand in hand. David is saying that he's learned to be humble. Although he's not simply saying that. He's not simply saying, I'm humble, God. He's not simply saying, look at me. He's showing this humility and what it leads to. He's showing that pride, left unchecked, will destroy you. Fact is, we see pride everywhere we turn in our daily lives. If we think of the politicians and the celebrities, the athletes, everyone on TV, we see pride. We see those who are living for themselves and for their name, and that's it. And it might be easy for us to look at them and say, yes, they're proud. Those in the world, they're proud. But this is a sin that hits all too close to home. This is a sin that we all struggle with, pride. We all know this. We all feel it. Living only for ourselves, living only with ourselves, as the prime being. This is why this psalm is so important. We live in a world where the basic philosophy is that you are all your own gods. Live for yourself. What you believe to be true is truth. 
That's what our culture has accepted. Seems that's what this whole world has accepted. That we are the most important being. And underlying virtually every sin that we deal with is this pride. However you slice it, it was the sin of pride that caused Adam and Eve to sin in the garden and plunged all of us into this sinful life. At the root of almost every sin we do is a pride that says either I deserve it, I deserve this thing, or pride of like anger where someone has, someone has slandered me and that's, that's not right. I don't deserve this. This is what we all feel. This is what we all know. This is why there are so many marital problems in the world. Marriage only works with two people that live self-sacrificially, that look for the other's good. But that's not what we do. That's not what the culture does. And thus, it is difficult. There are divorce. There are so many divorces, often because of pride, either in one of the partners or in both. We all recognize this. This is what we face. This is why this psalm is so important. It was Charles Spurgeon that said, this psalm is one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. What we're dealing here with, what we're, what, what we're dealing here with is this pride that spawns all these sins. And what this psalm shows us is that a humble trust leads to a firm hope. That's the, the purpose statement or the theme of this psalm, that a humble trust leads to a firm hope. Because again, as I said, though this, this psalm is dealing with pride, it doesn't leave us there. This psalm is, say, is not simply saying, don't be proud. It's bringing us to this, this last verse in hope. And we'll see that in three points. I heard one sermon from a, another minister. He structured this in three points of humility before God, hush before God, and hope in God. I'm going to borrow his work, which we're able to do in, in these settings. So first is humility before God. In many ways, each of these verses is about humility. It undergirds the whole psalm. Each verse and what it's saying can't be done without it. Verse 1 begins, My heart is not proud. O Lord, my eyes are not haughty. This is what David says to begin. And what this is a picture of is David is telling God, I am not looking up where I shouldn't. This could be translated, his eyes are not raised too high, or his eyes are not haughty, could be translated as his eyes are not raised too high. He's not eyeing a position that doesn't belong to him. He's not seeking to be in God's place. He's not seeking God's position. He's not seeking to be in control. That's what he says right off the bat. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I am low and humble, and I can't do this, but you can. And so I humble myself before you. And you know, on the surface reading, this sounds very good and, and almost simple. But you know how difficult this is? You know how difficult it is to look at God and say, I'm, 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 I'm accepting what you do. I'm not eyeing your position. Fact of the matter is, every time we grumble and complain about our lot in life, 
Every time we question what God has caused us to go through in anger or frustration, we desire to supplant him in a way. We desire to place ourselves there and to say, no, we're in control. This isn't right. Why have you caused me to go through this? Why have you given me this? This is what we face. We don't even realize it. I don't even realize it. You'll be going through your day-to-day life and you'll be stressed out because of all the things you have going on, the busyness of it, and you start grumbling and then something happens and you complain and maybe you aren't consciously thinking, well, this is God's fault, but we do desire something different than what he gave us. We think even that we have a better idea of what we deserve than what God has said for us. He goes on to say, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. There are three applications we can take from this verse. First, David is saying that he does not concern himself with things designed to glorify his name. He's not living for himself. He's not concerning himself with matters too great. And what are matters too great? Well, it's his own glory. He doesn't deserve glory, and he knows that. It's God who does. So he's not concerning himself with this. He's not seeking his own betterment at the expense of everyone else and even at the expense of God. The second application of this verse is to realize, and this is a big one, this is key, that we have no business questioning or doubting God. I love this verse. I think we should memorize this verse and say it in our times of anger or frustration or anxiety and fear. When there is something before us that we just don't want to go through, that we don't even think we can go through, to be able to say, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Because the ways and the decrees of God are too wonderful for us. They're far too wonderful for us. And we all know this. One example I thought of was of Johnny Erickson Tata. I'm sure, I'm sure some of you or many of you have heard of her and her story. She was paralyzed at a young age, I believe, in a diving accident. And from the neck down, if I remember correctly, this young lady in the prime of life no longer being able to move, having to have someone take care of her for everything. And at this time, you would think, and she thought, God, what are you doing? What's your purpose here? She despaired of life itself. And yet, through his guidance, through his word, he drew her near to himself. And after a long life, she is able to say she's even thankful for this accident because she has been a witness for God, because she has drawn near to God through it. And we would say, yes, the ways and decrees of God are too wonderful for us. How could such an outcome come from that? We don't need to look that far. We don't need to look to someone else's story. We can see that in our own. We can see the things that we have gone through, though sometimes terrible, that God actually used in our lives for our good and for his glory. This is this wonderful God that we serve, who takes the brokenness and the cursed world that this is and twists it and uses it for his purposes, for our good, 
And David is able to trust that and not concern himself with it. It's very easy for us to live with a plan in life that we think we have set, that we want, that we expect. We can even have somewhat of a haughty attitude in that. And the book of James addresses that. James says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend there a year and trade and make a profit. And he says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will, we will live and do this or that. This is that expression that we hear some people say, Lord willing, we will be there next week. Lord willing, I will have this job. And that is how we are to live. Lord willing. See the humility this takes. Every aspect of our life, we don't think it's for sure that we can achieve it. We're trusting in God and what his plan is for us. And we never meddle in God's marvelous ways. And when times are difficult, we say, Lord, I don't concern myself with these matters. They're too great. They're too wonderful for me. The last application we can make of this verse is that David is not trying to achieve more than God ever intended for him. He's not trying to overachieve. He is happy to do what God has given him to do. Some of us may be discontent with where we're at in life, with the job we have, with the position we're at, with the schooling we're in. But David is content. He's not trying to achieve what God hasn't given him to achieve. And you know, sometimes we think that God needs us in some way. That we have to go out and and do God's will. and, And in a certain sense, that's absolutely true. God has blessed us with the ability and the opportunity to carry out his will. But sometimes we need to take a step back and realize God uses us, but he doesn't need to. He graciously uses us. 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6 says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We see this replayed over and over again in the Bible. Humble yourselves and God will exalt you. The pathway to achieve God's will is not through us striving harder and harder to use the gifts that he's given us. That will happen, but it happens when we humble ourselves before God. When we tell God that we know that we're unable to do this without you, use us. Give us strength. And that is what David is doing. So this is the humility we are called to before God. This is what verse 1 is saying, to humble yourself before God. But now we move to verse 2, and that is hush before God, to silence yourself before God. It begins with, but I have stilled and quieted my soul. And right there you can notice a lot of peace and comfort there. I have stilled and quieted my soul. 
Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. This is the illustration that he is giving us of a child that is, not, that is weaned as opposed to one that is not. We can all recognize this imagery of a child that isn't able to eat on its own. It's not able to have solid food yet and thus needs to be fed constantly, needs to be on a constant schedule. I think it's like every two hours or something, you're supposed to again feed the child. And this child's life is one of contentment for a little bit after it's been fed, but then pain and sorrow and crying and you need to feed it yet again. And all the parents here are saying, yeah, we remember this, waking up in the night every couple hours to answer a crying baby. David is saying he's not like that. He's not saying this because he's proud. He's saying this, he has learned his lesson. Like a weaned child with its mother, when a child is no longer dependent on that constant feeding, there's rest. There's peace, and this is where we get it, there's trust. As I said, the psalm is speaking about a humble trust leading to a firm hope, and this is where we find that trust. The hush we have before God isn't one of ambivalence, isn't one of we're not going to do anything, it's one of faith. We are able to sit silent because we trust him. We know that he is control, and thus we're not like a baby that's constantly crying, constantly needing attention. We have matured. And thus we're able to be like that baby in its mother's arms, restful and content, at peace. These are the riches that God offers us in his word. These are the riches that we can have found in him, this peace, this trust. And that's what David is illustrating here. We don't want to whitewash what we go through. And that's not what I'm doing. I don't want anyone here to think that their trials aren't so great or their difficulties aren't so strong that they can just find themselves silent before God as if that's easy. We all know that that's not. This is what Spurgeon said. It's very easy to read this psalm, very easy easy to grasp it, much, much harder to learn it. And yet, if we do learn it, as we do strive for this, these are the riches that we can have. There's a, a story uh, one minister tells of, a, he brought his son, dropped his son off at a certain location and, and said, I will be back to pick you up at a certain time. And he, and he told his son, I'll be there. So he left, and at that certain time, the son came back to the location to be picked up, and his dad wasn't there. And the son waited, and and minutes turned to hours, and it was light when he was waiting, and now it was dark. It's dark, and it's night, and his dad's still not there. Well, unknown to the son, the dad had car trouble, and being in the time before cell phones and easy communication, he couldn't contact his son. And so the father got the car fixed, drove, came to the son to pick him up to that location, and his son was sitting there. And when he climbed in the car, the father asked him, were you scared? Were you afraid? The son said, no, I wasn't afraid. I wasn't scared. You said you'd come and pick me up. So I just waited until you did. 
He trusted his dad. He knew that he would come. And people of God, our life is no different. We have God's word telling us these things. And the question is, will we trust that? Will we believe that? See, in this story, the difference wasn't whether the father would come and keep his word and pick him up. That was always going to happen. The variable, the difference is, how was that son going to wait as his dad was going to pick him up? Was he going to be afraid? Was he going to grumble and complain? Was he going to get angry? Or was he going to be content and wait, trusting in God's word? And this is what we're called to. This is how we sit hushed, silent, and trusting before God, grasping his word. See, David isn't saying here, don't do anything. He isn't saying, your life, the Christian life, is one. You can just set everything aside. You don't have a task to do. Just sit and wait and it'll all turn out. The way you sit silent before God is by in his word and trusting that and knowing that and carrying it out. It's not simple. It's not easy. But God gives us the strength to do this. And that is how a humble trust will lead to that, to a firm faith. And now we move to our our third point. That's hope in God. So we've seen humility before God. We've seen hush before God. And now we see in the last verse, hope in God. Verse 3 says, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. There is... Something interesting about hope in our day and age. We use that for a lot of different things. We can hope that this team will win. We can hope that we'll get this job. We can even hope that we'll walk outside and there'll be $1,000 on the ground. The thing about this is it's not really conveying much trust or that we really think it will happen. It's very easy to have a hope that looks more like a pessimism than an optimism. This verse, this could be translated, and the, the word behind it has the idea of hope or waiting with expectation. Just like in our illustration of that son, waiting with expectation, with trust. That's the hope. The hope that we know is in the Lord and that we find in him. So we wait for our dad to come and pick us up. In many ways, that's what our life is, isn't it? We do his will here, waiting for him to come and pick us up, hoping in that. And so far, we've looked at what this psalm means, how we can apply it, but we would do a profound disservice to this psalm if we stopped there. Because the fact is, we live in the time after Christ's coming. David wrote these words long before Christ ever came. He was trusting in God. He certainly was, and it was a true trust. But now where we stand, we have so much more reason to trust God. We have so much more reason to be humble and hushed before him even than David did because we have seen our Savior come who put on display exactly what this psalm is talking about. If you read this psalm with Jesus in your mind, there's a lot of meaning there. 
Now, you can't always do this. You can't take a one-to-one comparison and say everything that this verse is saying is Christ. But when you take the meaning and apply it to Jesus, what do we see but someone who humbled himself before God? And where do we see that any clearer than in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. He humbled himself. Though he was equal with God, he humbled himself. Again, we can look at Philippians. And as I read this, it's a longer passage, but think of this psalm and what we've been talking about and how Jesus puts on display exactly what David was saying here. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What do we see here but a man who humbled himself and silenced himself, bearing the wrath, our sin, and didn't open his mouth and put his hope in God, trusting that he would be exalted through this, that God's will would come about. This is what Jesus himself did. And if David can say these words, and we have seen how Jesus fulfilled these words, can't we say these words? Who among us then is going to be proud in the face of such a God? Who among us would not sit and trust him when we have seen what he has done? And who among us wouldn't hope in him when we see what the outcome of Jesus Christ is? Fact of the matter is, Jesus didn't just display this psalm for us, he fulfilled it. He humbled himself, silenced himself, and hoped in God on our behalf. This psalm isn't telling you, do these things so that God will love you. The psalm is saying, do these things because this has already been done. And thus we are humble. And our hope is in the Lord, as David says. David says, to put your hope in the Lord. Well, we have seen this Lord. This Lord has come in the flesh. He is the very embodiment of our hope. Corey ten Boom said, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. That's what we do. We're trusting an unknown future to a God we know. In fact, to a God we have seen through his word. And so may we be able to echo the words of David and say, our hearts are not lifted up. Our eyes are not raised too high. We do not occupy ourselves with things too great and too marvelous for us. We have calmed and quieted our soul like a weaned child. 
And we would say, O church, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for these words that you have given us. And dear Jesus, we thank you that in your life we can see all these principles put on display. Thank you for giving us peace and comfort and joy, even through humility, through going through the opposite of what we would expect. And that's where we find you. We pray that you would put this psalm in our hearts, that you would bring it to mind to us throughout our lives, throughout this week. That when we are ready to be angry or proud, when we are ready to be anxious or to grumble, we would remember this psalm. That we would seek out of gratitude to obey you and to give you glory. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be singing the Solid Rock in your celebration hymnal, number 526. So if you would, would you please stand and we will sing the Solid Rock, number 526.